The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Whether it's the first possession of a game or the first possession of the second half, there's not a lot of difference. I mean, at second half, you do go in, you make adjustments, uh, what has been working, what hasn't, why. You talk about it really fast, but you also stick to your guns. Hey, we game plan this. This is what they're showing. This is what we still need to call. And that's that's basically it, you know, as far as what the, the coach's mindset. That voice you just heard was Nebraska offensive coordinator Matt Lubick discussing the Huskers' struggles in the second half so far. Through three games, Nebraska's scored a total of six points in the final 30 minutes of those games. Believe it or not, we are already into the second half of of Nebraska's football schedule in this this bizarre season. Uh, And and for for the Huskers to be better, uh, the four remaining games all look more even than I guess the, the first three did. Nebraska was an underdog in all three of those games. Came out of it one and two, which I'm not sure... Anybody totally expected, well, I'm not sure anybody expected them to be underdogs in in those first three, much less to to play only three instead of four. But but here we are. And for Nebraska to be better over the second half of the season, man, it still seems so strange to say after after three games. They're gonna have to be better in the the final 30 minutes. How do they do that? What's the actual issue here? It's not an easy question to answer, but we'll get into that. We'll highlight some some key players on both sides and break down exactly what Nebraska needs to do to beat Illinois on Saturday. You're listening to the IAD Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor Brandon Vogel. Let's talk some football. We'll kick off the first half here by eh, the same way we do every first half each week by looking at the wise guys, what the wise guys wisdom has to say uh, about Huskers Illini. Barring total chaos over the second half of the season, Nebraska's probably not going to be a bigger favorite against any team this season than it is on Saturday against Illinois. Probably is probably an unnecessary qualifier. They're not going to be. I mean, there's just not enough games to to make up that much ground. Circus Sports opened this line at Nebraska minus 14 on Sunday. Um, shout out again to, to circus sports. This should really be a sponsor on the show. Actually, now that I talk about it, um, for getting those lines out first at, at minus 14, the line's gone up since then, uh, by, by midweek, you could find it at Nebraska minus 15 and a half to Nebraska minus 16, uh, in, in, in terms of what, where the public has, has put it money, put its money for this game. They, they've put it on Nebraska for, for the most part. Or I guess it's even not entirely accurate to assume that a few big money betters this early in the in in the week can can move that line kind of by themselves. But either way, whether it's smart money or the most money, the line's gone up from from what it opened at. So you're looking at Nebraska by more than two touchdowns in this game. Uh, I don't know if you're surprised by that or not. As we get into the the power rankings, which can which can often serve as a little bit of a check on this, uh, they're kind of saying the same thing. 
SP plus, uh, the, the, the house power rankings of the IED preview podcast for, for lack of a better term would make Nebraska about a 15 point favorite on Saturday. And that's factoring in a, a two point home field advantage, which is down from about the two and a half to three you would in a normal season. You do that obviously for the, the lack of a traditional home field atmosphere. I mean, Nebraska is not even on the, the same sideline they, they usually are, though it sounds like that might be a, a one-year aberration. Anyway, back to, to SP+. Plus. Uh, Nebraska ranked 35th this week, which is down one spot, but it had a rating of 7.7, which is up one-tenth of a point. How does that how does that happen um, after a win? One of the, the the beauty of SP Plus in in my eyes is that it really rewards playing well. It doesn't care whether you win or lose, which might see seem counter counterintuitive uh, on its face, but in terms of what's replicable and what's sustainable. Uh, in in, ter- in a purely football context, like how well you play is often more important than, I mean, it's not more important in a real world sense. In a real world sense, all that matters are, are wins, wins and losses. But in terms of what you're able to do next week, which is all SP plus is intended to be, it is not intended to be a resume ranking. It's intended to be a predictive ranking. The goal there is to, you know, well, I don't even know if it's the goal, but a good check on ranking systems such as this is how close is what they project for a, a margin in the game to the actual point spread. And, and we already talked about point spreads up to, to 15 and a half in, in, at most places, uh, at least as of this recording. And, and that's kind of where SP plus was on Sunday when it, when it updated its rankings based on the previous week. So, so Nebraska beat Penn State and didn't get a didn't get a huge move at all, either way, up or down, uh, in, in the SP Plus rankings, and and that's kind of that's really how it's designed. Nebraska got a big move last week when it lost, but played well against Northwestern. This week, this this past week, the most recent game, it played okay. It got the win. It got some. Well, it got one defensive score and another score basically set up by the defense. But Penn State was more efficient. It was more explosive. It had more scoring chances. The majority of the time, a team doing those things will will win that game. And that's that's no shame on Nebraska. That's not to to downplay the quality of the win. The most important thing was the Huskers just needed a win. Uh, and, and we've talked about that on this show before. So, so getting one after... Multiple cases, uh, not just one or two, but you're talking five, six, seven, where Nebraska has been on the other end of that, where they've played like the team that should have won and didn't. Um, getting one back here isn't isn't cheap in any in any regard, but that's kind of what those rankings are seeing. So, you know, if you if you look at that, if you pull that up, if you're a close follower of rankings such as this, and you pull it up and say, "Well, Nebraska dropped a spot uh, despite winning," how does that work? Yeah, it it kind of works like that. Like they they dropped a spot because other teams 
grew by more. Their ranking increased by more. Uh, Nebraska's ranking went up just very slightly, which feels like a pretty true result for, for that game. So SP plus would have it at, at Nebraska minus 15 Illinois comes into the game and they, and they jumped a little bit too after, after the win over Rutgers, um, they're ranked 90th in SP plus rankings minus 5.4. So SP plus is saying the Illini are basically five and a half points worse than the average college football team so far in 2020 FPI football power index ESPN's other power ranking system is a little bit more, more reactive than, than SP plus tends to be on a, on a week to week basis. Nebraska's win over Penn state there was worth a 10 spot jump in the rankings. So the Huskers are up to number 32, Illinois 83rd following the win over Rutgers. And, and they also increased from, from where they were at. So FPI would put this line at about Nebraska minus 12 and a half. I think the big takeaway here from, from both of those power rankings is just where Nebraska's at 35th in SP plus 32nd in FPI. That's pretty good for a team that's one and two. It's pretty good for a team that so far, at least to my eye, hasn't looked like it's drastically better than the the previous versions of this team under Scott Frost. I I thought they I thought this 2020 team would be. I thought this Nebraska team was poised for success. That's based on a lot of factors. Um returning production probably for foremost among those. But the offense hasn't hasn't played like it. You know, it hasn't improved like a team you would expect to improve when it returned its its leading passer, who's perhaps no longer its primary passer in, in Adrian Martinez. Its top two rushers, again, Martinez, but also Diedrich Mills. He was number one on that list. And even through the the loss of JD Spielman in the offseason, um, this was still an offense that you expected to improve. We're still kind of waiting for for that to actually happen. Most of Nebraska's gains, and they've and they've been slight on on both sides, though. Uh, most of those have been on the defensive side. That's the general setup here. Um, whichever, wherever you pre prefer to look, um, Nebraska's a double digit favorite at at home uh, against Illinois, and that's that's not to be to be taken for granted. Um, Nebraska probably wouldn't be a double digit favorite over Maryland right now. It probably would be over, over Rutgers. So we looked at this schedule in the, the off season, the schedule 3.0, the revised, the revision to the revised edition, I guess, for, for lack of a better term and said, yeah, that's tough. And, and it is tough. Um, even Penn state, I know they're, they're and four, but that's a that's a team that's that's a challenge to play and Nebraska Nebraska was able to get it done so you take that you hope to build off of it the coaches talked about it this week they more than one coach said they're they're riding the momentum wave which you could also say about Illinois you know first forced three three second half turnovers to to get that win at the gun basically over over Rutgers and Illinois has been an interesting team under Lovey Smith. They obviously made their, their big jump last year, getting bowl eligible and beating Wisconsin, which kind of kicked off a, a nice little mid season 
win streak for them. But this team, it it lost a, a good portion of, of returning production. It's probably not as strong as, as the Illini were in, in 2019. But that doesn't mean that Nebraska just rolls out of bed for this 11 a.m. kickoff and shows up and gets a win. Like, they're going to have to go out and do it. One thing you can give Lovey Smith is he attracts talent. And it, they kind of wax and wane based on the concentration of that talent. And this year's a little bit down compared to, well, certainly last year, but there's, there's still some players that can hurt you on, on this squad. So let's go ahead and dive right into that with, with three key players to watch from the Illini side. Number one on my list is, is quarterback Isaiah Williams. Uh, number one, you probably won't be able to miss him though. The Illini are in sort of a similar spot to to Nebraska. They've played four quarterbacks this year, which is a little bit insane. Um, Scott Frost gave them some credit for that in his Monday press conference, depending on your point of view, somewhat subtly or maybe not so subtly, acknowledging that the Illini played through some uh, – the lack of availability for players due to, to COVID-19 testing, whatever, you, whatever you make of that. Um, they didn't have, they haven't had Brandon Peters there, the Michigan transfer who was their starter all last year and, and started their opening game this year. Uh, he tested positive and had to sit out, sit out the mandated man mandated amount from the big 10. He's back and available this week. So Illinois has him at their disposal uh, Lovey Smith was pretty, as as most coaches would be in this scenario, pretty cagey about who's actually going to play. But Isaiah, Isaiah Williams was was a huge recruiting win um, from the St. Louis area. Four star recruit was supposed to be sort of the future for the Illini at, at quarterback, and then they were able to to land Peters as a as a Michigan transfer. And went with him. So Williams maintained his red shirt while appearing in four games last year. In fact, he got his first career action against Nebraska last year. Um, but he went off against against Rutgers. Rushed for 192 yards. Set the school record for for rushing yards from a quarterback, and and, and earned the 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 Big Ten Player of the Week honors on the offensive side of the ball. Nebraska has to account for him. He's he's seven for twenty one this year as a passer, so it's it's a pretty clear divide in terms of what Illinois can and hopes to do when when he's in in the game. He hurts you hurts you most as a runner, but he's but he's very good in that in that aspect of his game, and and Nebraska will have to have a solution for that. Number two on my list, uh, linebacker James Hansen, number thirty five. I, I always love how coaches, football coaches, have the freedom to just to refer to guys by numbers. Um, maybe we'll start doing that here on the the IED Preview Podcast. It'll be a little bit of coach stolen valor, I guess, for for lack of a better term. But I but I always like that when you ask a coach a question, and he's like, "Yeah, number thirty five, he's a good player." That is true of of James Hansen. Pretty versatile, versatile guy. He can play inside linebacker. He can play outside line, outside linebacker. He's done both for for Illinois this season. Uh, ranks fourth on the Big Ten in the Big Ten in tackles with thirty seven. 
going into this week. He also has four tackles for loss. But the biggest thing is the the crazy thing is he, he also has two forced fumbles this year, which shouldn't come come as a surprise if you were paying close attention to to Illinois football last year. Hansen had seven forced fumbles in nine games in 2019. Guys, guys, just a playmaker. He he's the kind of guy that and I. I don't know how heavily recruited he was out of high school, but here as a senior, he's the kind of guy that any Big Ten Big Ten team would take, which is which is a pretty pretty big compliment when you consider the the strength of the conference, and not just the strength of the conference in general, but the the strength of the conference at linebacker. It's a it is traditionally a very good linebacker league, and James Hansen is one of those. So, so keep an eye on number 35 last on the list for players to watch for the Illini. I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit counter to, to maybe what most would think here and, and choose Brian Hightower. He's not the wide receiver. Most people probably first think of, uh, that would be Josh Amaterbebe, former five-star recruit who signed with USC out of high school, transferred to Illinois. That happens a lot under under Smith during his tenure in Champaign Urbana. Uh, he he lures these these guys who were highly touted prospects that for for one reason or another didn't work out at their original school. Um, so he's he's getting a little bit of a devalued asset to a degree, not in terms of talent. Like Illinois is not going out and signing a, a five-star receiver, but they might get him on the rebound from a place like USC. And that was the case with Amater Bebe. He's the Illini's leading receiver, but I, I, I chose Hightower because he's a guy I think you need to keep an eye on. He he made his Illinois debut in, in the opener uh, against Purdue uh, and ha- went for, went for 97 yards and his, his lone touchdown on the season there, but the big news here is he he's averaging t- more than twenty yards a catch, twenty one point five yards per catch, and uh, also like a modern baby, he is a former four star, so not quite the blue chip that that his receiving mate was, but but pretty close. Who signed with Miami out of high school and then transferred to Illinois, and that's where you'll find him now. Let's fill it, flip it to the Nebraska side of the equation. Um, to be to be completely honest, kind of identifying key players is a little bit more difficult with a with a game like this where the the spread is is what it is. Um, but we will we will soldier on here. Number one in terms of Nebraska players to watch on Saturday for me is is cornerback Cam Taylor Britt. Had a really strong game against Penn State. Four tackles. Of course, the the interception that he returned down inside the Penn State red zone that directly led to points for, for the Huskers. And then uh, you probably saw the photo of this, but a huge pass breakup in the red zone late in the game as, as Nebraska kind of stood up and stopped eight straight Penn State pass attempts from inside the the 15 yard line to, to win that game. Taylor Britt is 
one of Nebraska's best players on on either side of the ball. Like there's there's not much question in my mind that that is the case. And last week he he looked like it. Um, like I think almost everybody in Nebraska's secondary so far this season, he has a little bit of a problem with trying to make the highlight play when when the simple play probably gets you more. Um, but you, you work through that stuff, and I'm, I'm pretty interested to see if he can maintain that momentum this week coming off a, a strong game against the Nittany Lions when you look at Illinois has got two receivers that can really challenge you, and, and Taylor Britt's probably going to be matched up on one or the other on the majority of snaps. So he's got a little bit of a challenge here. We'll get more into just why that's such a challenge as, as we go on. But a game like this where, where you're a heavy favorite, like your best players should be able to, to perform like the best. And, and that's kind of the challenge facing Cam Taylor Britt and a few others. Number two for this week would be inside linebacker, Will Honus, Luke Reimer, had a brilliant game against Northwestern and, and Honus was a little bit dinged up and, and Reimer came in and looked exactly like what he has been billed as so far, which is one of Nebraska's best athletes. Like it's kind of amazing when you stop and think about, they got this guy to walk a local kid to walk on and immediately, not like three or four years down the road after he's been in the weight program, et cetera, et cetera. But immediately, just kind of looks like one of their best athletes. And and that's a great thing. And there's, there's a, there's a place for, for Luke Reimer. He's going to be on the field, but you got to give some credit to Will Honus here, senior linebacker, junior college transfer. Reimer played so well and was so all over the fleet field and so impossible to miss that you kind of wondered like, Oh, Will Honus just, you know, couldn't go this game because he's a little bit dinged up and did he just lose his job? I think credit to the coaches for, and this is what most coaches would do, but it's, it's tougher in practice than it is in the press conference of no, you don't lose your job due to injury. And and Will Honus responded. Um, He came out and played really strongly against Penn state, had a career high 13 tackles uh, against the Nittany lions. So I mentioned him, but, but really the onus I think in this game is, is on a, on, on Nebraska's linebacker group as a whole. Honus has to be good. Miller has to be good. Reimer's going to be in there. He's got to be good. And the collection of, of outside linebackers also are going to have to be strong because this, this Illinois defense, it, it struggles on a down to down basis, but it is really strong in terms of, in terms of big plays. Isaiah Williams, the quarterback that I mentioned earlier, he can hurt you in the running game. Uh, running back Chase Brown, who is not their primary rusher, he's more of their their big play guy. He can hurt you. And then those those two receivers we've already talked about, Amater Bebe and uh, and and Hightower. They're, you let those guys get loose downfield, and and they'll they'll come up and make plays. They are they are talented players. So I think you start with an offense like that against the run. You've got to be able to contain Williams when he's in there. You can't let uh, long runs happen. Nebraska had one of those early in the game last year, and you know, kind of had to to fight and scramble for its life and be really good offensively to to come away with a win 
at Illinois next year. So Will Honus, the rest of the linebackers, they've got to be pretty sound and strong on Saturday to to contain the the big plays of the Illini. And if you do that, you're kind of you're kind of suffocating that offense. It's it's not efficient enough so far through through three games to to really worry you that way. But you give up a bunch of big plays and and things can get weird in a hurry. Third on my list for for Nebraska is well and we'll go to the offensive side, which it's maybe it's a little strange that I I went two defensive guys to start because offense is really kind of the the sore spot for for Nebraska after three games. And, and for that reason, I'm going with running back Dedrick Mills, but really it could be it could be anybody from that running back room. And no, I I, I don't mean in this instance, Wandale Robinson. So against Penn State, Mills got got nicked up early and was basically out of the game. And Nebraska's response was to give the majority of the the remaining carries that that weren't handled by Luke McCaffrey to to Wandale Robinson. It it was good and it was bad. It was good because it meant Robinson got some more touches. Um which everybody wanted going into that game still averaged about three yards a carry, which is, is right where he was last year. It's, it's a strange, strange thing with Robinson because almost like a lot of his runs look like they could go the distance if not for one tackle, but, but few of them actually do. And that that's, that's not a criticism of him. It's just, for for all the talk about Robinson needs to be a bigger part of the offense, it's not like Nebraska doesn't give him carries in one game and then does and he goes nuts. Um, so so that's something to watch. I think I think the bigger thing the the bigger question for the sustainability of Nebraska football in 2020 and beyond is can they get something from that running back spot? Nebraska's still good in terms of explosive plays, explosive rushing plays. Um, it's still good in terms of efficiency running the ball, but a lot of that's coming through through the quarterback spot at the moment, whether that's that's Martinez or or McCaffrey. They're both capable, capable runners. And I don't I, I don't think that's exactly what you want to see. It's a little bit of nitpicking at this point. You'll take those those big runs however they come, but I, I I just go into this game thinking the Huskers need a little bit more out of out of the running back spot. And and we'll see if we can get it. If it's not Mills, if you know, by chance he's he's not fully healthy and isn't the guy who can go, then it's Ronald Tompkins or it's Marvin Scott the third. Somebody back there has to be able to do some damage here because this Illini defense, um, there's not a ton you can point to that it just flat does well at, at the moment. And, and Nebraska needs to be able to take advantage of that. And I think that starts with, with the run game so far. The passing game has been a struggle at times. So you got to go with your strength against a team you have an advantage against. You've got to be able to, to kind of lean on that. And that's going to require something from the running back spot. That brings us to halftime of the IED preview podcast. Uh, halftime is has sort of been the turning point for the Huskers so far in 2020. But don't worry, we'll get into that. 
first, here's here's Rusty Dawkins with your game day forecast for a Saturday in Lincoln. This is meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with Hale Varsity for the I-80 preview podcast. And the forecast, well, while it's not going to be brutally cold, it's not going to be very warm either. Temperatures will likely be in the 40s for much of the day on Saturday before eventually cooling into the 30s by the early evening. But for much of the game, lower and middle 40s should just about do it. Now, those temperatures wouldn't be so bad, but... There's always a but with a disturbance right over the top of us on Saturday. Rain is looking likely for much of the game. And temperatures are going to be a good 10 to 15 degrees above the freezing mark. So snow doesn't look to be an issue, but still uh, it's going to be a chilly rain. That's for sure. And if you are looking for some snow, there might be some mixing in late. But for the game, it looks like it should just stay all rain. Now, this is a chilly and a rainy Husker game day. So the only thing that would make it worse would be a lot of wind, right? Thankfully, that doesn't look like it's going to be an issue. Uh, there will be a wind out of the northeast at 5 to 15 miles per hour, but that's you know, that's kind of a given. So the wind won't be an issue, but it is going to be rainy and it is going to be cold. So th- that that's enough. Here's your hour-by-hour hour forecast. Kickoff, rain is looking likely. Temperatures in the lower 40s by 11 a.m. Northeast wind around 5 to 15 miles per hour. Then at halftime, rain still likely. Temperatures in the middle 40s, so we don't warm up much. And that northeast wind at 5 to 15. The rain sticks around by the end of the game. And temperatures will be in the middle 40s with a northeast wind still at 5 to 15 miles per hour. Now, we'll all have updates on uh, Hail Varsity, uh, HailVarsity.com, and as well as on my Twitter accounts. That's RustyWX and Husker Weather. Second half action is underway and let's get let's get right into it how do, how does nebraska beat illinois on saturday um i think the, the the first key that i will point to is nebraska needs to remain patient on offense this game sets up as an interesting one for for the huskers offensively Eli and i are not good on a down-to-down basis their success rate allowed so far this season is 49.8 percent which is the eighth worst, eighth worst nationally. And it's not even unbalanced. It's not like the Illini are good at one thing and bad at the other. No, they're kind of equally bad at both. They're 113th in success rate against the run and 114th in success rate against the pass. So that kind of tells you that on a down-by-down, play-by-play basis, this is defense is really struggling to keep keep teams off schedule. That's good news. Good news for Nebraska because despite its struggles on offense elsewhere, still ranks 38th in or 35th, excuse me, in, in overall success rate, ranks 13th in success success rate on rushing plays, which is why I mentioned Mills and the rest of the running back crew. And when you're talking bigger picture with just success rate on rushing plays, go ahead and include the quarterbacks in that. Um, Luke McCaffrey against Penn state. It was, it was an interesting debut for him because he didn't do anything to at any point in that game to make you think, well, maybe they got to go back to Martinez for a drive. Like the offense just isn't hitting it. It's not doing it. Um, but from a numbers perspective, like the offense was was basically the same, actually a little bit worse, though maybe you credit that to Penn State. All the coaches this week were effusive in terms of their praise for the talent level. 
uh, on that side of the ball for the Nittany Lions. But, you know, Nebraska basically, like, the offense didn't take off under under McCaffrey, I guess is the point. So, overall, Nebraska's going to have to be able to run the ball well. It's going to have to be able to run the ball well, particularly because there's, I think, there's the allure of big plays here against Illinois. Well, the Illini are comparatively better um, in in terms of limiting big plays. They're still not good. It's only in relation to what is a, a pretty atrocious defensive efficiency to this point in the season that, that the explosive play numbers look good. But the Illini rank 87th in, in explosive plays percentage allowed. Um So you kind of look at this game and think, well, maybe there are some plays there to be had. Maybe this is the game where the much maligned on the milk carton, totally missing downfield passing game shows up. And, 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 you know, that's, that's not faulty reasoning. There's, there are reasons to think that, that, that could play out for, for the Huskers last year against Illinois, they had 21 explosive plays, both rushing and passing which is, you know, I've been tracking this on a game-by-game basis, live, real-time, since I think 2014. And and 21 is insane. Like, I can't think of any other game that that was even close to that in terms of the number of big plays they had. J.D. Spielman had a really big game in terms of downfield catches against Illinois last year. He he paid the price for it. If you if you remember that game at all, you can remember a number of big hits on on JD Spielman. But he's not here, and, and Nebraska is lacking that threat. Whether it's through development wide receiver, which which remains a work in progress, whether it's wide receiver or quarterbacks missing wide receivers who are open, which has certainly happened a couple of times, but. So far through three games, Nebraska's 88th in explosive plays percentage. The Nebraska offense is, which is a number I honestly never thought we'd, we'd probably see under Frost, but but here they are. Um, we knew coming in that there were some limitations in the receiver room. We knew at the very least that, that Nebraska was young. We haven't seen as much of those young guys as, you know, professional pundits such as myself and others would have thought. And I think there are good reasons for that. Um, I think there are reasons beyond what the coaches will say publicly be for that, but, but whatever it is, you kind of have to trust their judgment on it. And it's, it's, it's hurting Nebraska. Not being able to stretch the field is, is a problem. Is it a problem against an Illinois defense? That's, that's struggling to stop teams down by down, but also somewhat susceptible to to big plays. Maybe not. Um, it would be a surprise if if that really flipped in in this game. But I think the thing that Nebraska has to avoid here is the t- temptation to to quote unquote get right in this game. Like do what you do, run the offense that you know you can execute, and you should probably be be fine that way. And it may not be as fun or as interesting as people expect, given the two touchdown spread in this game, two touchdowns or more. But I, I really think that's Nebraska's best path to victory. 
it it would be tough in, in my estimation to make a change at quarterback at this point. You know, the coaches say it's an open competition and we're going to continue to go week by week. And I think that's true to a degree, but to go back to, to kind of where we started this first point, McCaffrey didn't do anything to say, Oh, I'm not up for this. Like the, the offensive numbers as a whole weren't better, but they also weren't worse. So you give him some manageable plays. You maybe take a couple other, a couple extra shots, just knowing that, you know, no disrespect, but this is Illinois. It's not Penn State. And, and you see what happens and you adjust and go from there. So I think the the overall point here is is for Nebraska to to do what it knows it does well, which is run the football at this point. Even if we haven't seen quite as much as we'd like to from from the running back so far, this it, it seems much more likely to me that Nebraska's running backs look great in this game. Instead of all of a sudden, oh, they're hitting for 20 and 25 yard passes. Um, I, I just don't know if the Huskers are ready that ready for that. So patience gonna patience is gonna be a big one for me. Nebraska's efficiency numbers, its success rate is gonna be a bigger factor for me in this one than the number of big plays that it gets. The second thing Nebraska has to do to win this game is is to sort of flip that first point on its head. Um, Illinois is a big play offense at, at this point. They, they struggle with, with success rate with, with down to down efficiency. Um, but they are capable of hitting big plays. They have, they rank 17th nationally in explosive plays percentage. They're 24 plays of 20 plus yards so far lead the big 10 Williams can hurt you. With, with the run game, uh, we already talked about the receivers. They got a couple of downfield threats. In, in a lot of ways, they kind of have to hope for those plays. Um, you know, we're going to chuck it downfield a couple of times uh, each half and and see what we get. And there's, there's, you know, with the way college football games are called today, there's just a lot of upside for, for offenses to do that because you can complete it or you can get a pass interference penalty. And even though it's only 15 yards instead of spot of the foul, like it is in the NFL, that's, that's still pretty significant. 15 yards on a passing play, even if it's via penalty, um, I wouldn't technically count it as an explosive play, but practically you're getting 15 yards there. It, it still counts. So it's going to be really important for Nebraska to, to keep a lid on things on Saturday. And, and that's every defense wants to do that. Um, every defensive coordinator in the country knows just how big explosive plays are. Like they, they dramatically increase the, the chances of scoring on a drive. So you got to avoid them. At, at all costs. I guess the good news for Nebraska is <clears throat> it's coming off a pretty strong game in this regard against Penn State. Penn State had a slight edge in explosiveness, but overall, both teams, like the win over Penn State was not a game defined by big plays. Penn State had a, had a really big one to Pat Fryermuth, the, the tight end. Uh, went for 74 yards and got a touchdown on that. But for the most part, Nebraska was asking uh, both the first half field goal drives uh, took over 10 plays, which is good. 
Like, I understand this isn't kind of, you know, the classic shutdown defense that any football fan would prefer. Like, you want to see your team going three and out. But if you can ask a team to drive 10, 11, 12 plays to, to just get a field goal, you're winning. Um, and particularly with where this defense has been the previous two seasons, and I think where they're trying to get to, you know, they're trying to craft a defense that will be paired with an offense that averages a lot more points than, than Nebraska has so far, um, which is, you know, a, a separate issue. But in terms of executing that plan, you know, Nebraska got a couple of takeaways last week against Penn State, made them drive the football. Um, Nebraska won the field position battle, which is not all that common since since the start of 2018. So it was it was good enough in that game. And when they got down to the red zone, you know, you can look back at those those final two Penn State drives, um, both of which ended inside the 15 yard line. And Nebraska stood up. Penn State didn't have the advantage of being able to to settle for a field goal on those and and Nebraska did what it needed to do to to get the stops to to get a win. So that's all that's all good, but you know, when you think about this big picture wise, I did some did some research for this for the November issue of the magazine, which is out out now. Um subscribe if you, if, if you haven't already and you want to want to read the the in-depth column on this, but 7 is kind of a magic number for for football drives and it's a number not just is it a magic number this year but it's a number that holds steady pretty pretty much year to year which tells you that you're looking at something that it's like okay this is a little bit of just just how modern day football works and the average touchdown drive in college football from 2018 to now is less than less than seven plays. It's not much less. The average, I think, is about six point seven or six point eight plays. So you so you're right there. But the average drive that ends in a field goal is up over nine plays. So so when you're watching a game, this is kind of one of those like stat nerd things that if you just put it in the back of your head, um, you might be able to tell like how things are actually going versus you know just looking at where a team is on the field how much danger an offense or defense might be in. But when those drives get over seven plays, like you're much more likely to, to end in that drive in a field goal. And if you're going to go, like if you're on the field for seven, eight, nine plays, like you're probably, you're going to be in opponent territory. You might even be in the red zone, the, the vast majority of the time. And that's okay. Like if you can get a field goal in the red zone, you'll you'll take that every time. And that's what that's what Nebraska did to Penn State. It's what it needs to do against Illinois. Um, the four or five play touchdown drives, which which the Illini had a couple of last year in a game that was closer than than anybody imagined, are really a problem. But they're also pretty common in, in college football. That's how touchdown drives go. You get that big gain, you punch it in. As, as we saw with Penn State, you know, we talk, we've, we've talked a lot about this season, or certainly at least since the Northwestern game, about Nebraska's red zone struggles. And I think you can chalk a lot of that up to development at wide receiver. Nebraska's still working on the depth that it needs there. It's still looking for, I think, the, the playmakers that it needs there. You just need guys who can win one-on-one 
when, when quarters get tight. And I don't know if the group that Nebraska is putting out there can consistently do that yet. Penn state is a group where you would say they have two guys that can do that. Jahan Dotson is a really good wide receiver and Nebraska held him in check. Pat Fryermuth might be the best tight end in, in the big 10. And still with the game on the line down seven with two chances inside the red zone, Nebraska held Penn state without a touchdown. So credit the defense for that. They did just enough to get to that point without, they didn't, you know, minus that 74 yard gain to Fryermuth, they didn't give up the big play. And, and that, that gave them the opportunity to, to get a red zone stop. And they did twice. So Red zone struggles are a real thing for all offenses. Nebraska has struggled more than most so far this season, but if the Huskers are putting that same burden on Illinois on Saturday, they'll probably be in pretty good shape. Last on my list for for what Nebraska needs to do this week is uh, we're going to go to our old friend Bill Belichick for this one, Um, and that is win the middle eight. It's a Bill Belichick joint, as I mentioned, as, as Spike, Spike Lee might put it. Um, the Patriots emperor of football put a special emphasis on the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. That's how you get to eight. So the middle eight minutes of the game is, is the way to think about this. Many football coaches, perhaps most football coaches, if they win the opening coin toss, defer the def- the decision to take the ball or be on defense. They defer that to the second half for this very reason. Um, if you wait until the second half and a game kind of unfolds like you'd expect it to, you know, no, or not no, but, but few sudden change plays, you know, maybe you get a first down or two and punt like just with the way it works. Um, with a clock that is ever ticking, you can hope to quote unquote double up on, on your opponent. If you, if you're taking the ball in the second half. And what that means is you've got a chance at having a positive drive, hopefully put points on the board right before halftime and then get the ball back in the second half and do the same thing. And you could kind of feel this danger um, against Ohio state, you know, Nebraska was still in that game. Buckeyes got a, a a score right before halftime, came out in the second half and, and got another score. And that really being able to quote unquote double up there really put that game out of reach for Nebraska as a more than three touchdown underdog. You know, you're looking at everything has to go about perfect. And that was one that decidedly went to to the Buckeyes liking. Nebraska hasn't been great in the middle eight, which probably won't come as a surprise to you. You know, we got a ton of questions in the mailbag this week. It kind of has been the, the popular topic. Coaches are asked about it at press conferences. It's, it comes up on, on call in radio shows. What's the deal with Nebraska's second half struggles? And it's, it's a tough question to answer. Um, Frost employs, a contrarian strategy, I think is the, the best way to put it as it comes to those, those coin flip decisions. Um, the Huskers are almost 
always taking the ball given the option. And because most teams defer, they also get the ball even when they don't win the toss. So with, with coach Frost and, and staff, they've kind of made this a thing where they want the ball first and, and the, it, it, it's a totally defensible strategy. I, I wrote a big story on this in the, the 2019 hail varsity yearbook. Um, if you happen to have that lying around, you can go back and look at that, but there's a lot of power in having a lead. And, and, and this is what, this is what makes that decision defensible in my mind. Um, you get a lead, things become a little bit easier. Like your win percentage instantly goes up, of course, but also teams are more likely to commit turnovers when they trail. So if you can just get out front and maintain that lead, you're constantly putting some kind of unseen pressure on your opponent. And, and that's kind of the, the, the frost approach. It's, it's aggressive. And, and that's not a surprise. He's, he's a pretty aggressive head coach in, in, in all aspects, but this might be kind of one of the most forward ways in that you can see it. Even if you don't notice it before, before someone points it out, like Nebraska takes the ball first for a reason. It's not because the offense is so much better than the defense. It's because, in my opinion, I think they recognize the power of, hey, we're traditionally good at crafting an opening script, which is which is pretty undeniable at this point. Like, go back and look at Nebraska's first drives and games, and they move the ball on on just about anyone. Like, they're tough to handle there. And then teams adjust, et cetera, et cetera, which kind of crafts this whole narrative when you combine it with, with Nebraska's struggles in the third quarter of, oh, you know, they're, they're great on the whiteboard on Tuesday, but you get into the game and, and what happens. I'm not sure that's totally it. I think some of this is kind of a residual effect of the decision Nebraska makes to to take the ball most often. And it's 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 a question of of what you're willing to live with. Are you willing to the price you pay for the opportunity to get on the board first is knowing that in some games you're you're gonna get doubled up. And it, it doesn't matter in terms of like the the total number of possessions. You know, one of the most interesting things about football is you you trade possessions. It's what makes turnovers such a big part of the game. Like if you forfeit one of those possessions earlier than, than you should without the exchange of field position, like it's, it's killer. Um, it, it really, really hurts you. And, and that's why, because it's, it's a take turns type of game. Um, well, not type of game by rule. It is a take turns game. So you got to keep that in mind. Um, I think Frost and, and staff have, have kind of identified that, oh, hey, there's, you know, there's some advantages to, to getting on the board first. And you can, you know, statistically, statistically prove those. It's a little bit of half dozen of one or six dozen of the other. But the key is you've, you've got to be able to, to hold up in what Bill, Bill, Bill Belichick called the, the middle eight. And Nebraska has, well, overall, it has it has lost the the middle eight in the frost era not by much just just by a little bit but it's lost and you can specifically divide it up so in the 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 first half or the last four minutes of the first half of games 
since 2018, so all 27 games that have happened under Scott Frost as head coach, Nebraska's outscoring opponents 92 to 61. That's good. Like the the yards per player good, the success rate's good. They they win those that specific section of the game, and we're talking about pretty small sample sizes, given the number of games that we're talking about. Um, but they they win that portion of it going into halftime. Start of the second half, boy, do they lose it. Nebraska, through again twenty seven games under under Scott Frost, has one touchdown in the first four minutes of the third quarter. Those are the, that's their only points. It's it's kind of I was tallying it up. I was working with my spreadsheets and and doing the whole thing, and I was like, huh, that's it, I guess. Um, their opponents have scored 45 points over that stretch. So when you add it all up, when you look at the middle eight as, as a whole, Nebraska has been outscored 106 to 99. That's a touchdown difference, but I think emotionally in terms of momentum, that that difference might actually be bigger than the pure points on the scoreboard show. So, so what that means is Nebraska's run almost a hundred fewer plays over those first first four minutes of the third quarter than the opponent, and, that, and that's by design. That's that's the price you pay for taking the ball first. You got to decide if you're if you're willing to live with it, um, which which obviously this coaching staff has, but it really puts a lot of pressure to to make that first drive of the game meaningful like and and meaningful in the sense you've at least well no at best want to get points um preferably a touchdown but at least you better move the ball and flip field position like coming up empty on that first drive is really painful because nebraska has chosen it as a strategy they have chosen that okay we like our script we know we can start fast. We're going to go out here and get points, and that's going to help us throughout, which it does if you do, in fact, get points. And, and Nebraska's done that in two games so far. Did it against Ohio State on the opening drive. Did it against Penn State. And you know, Penn State, through the help of the defense, that that lead sort of snowballed a little bit and was was really essential in, in Nebraska winning that game. But what you give up is there's, there's just Nebraska doesn't have the ball a whole lot to, to start the second half. We, we talked in, in a previous episode about their struggles to, to force three and outs. Um, that remains like, this is always going to be kind of a, a tough defense for, for three and outs. I think, uh, barring a, a major, major talent upgrade, it's the sort of defense that's like, okay, if we're asking you to go 10, 12, 13 plays like they did against Penn State, we're pretty happy. That's fine, but teams are going to bleed off that that whole first four minutes of of the middle eight. And it matters so much because SportsSource Analytics, which is the the company that provides the, the, the data, um, who knows how much they actually use it, um, but the the data to the college football playoff selection committee in 2019 looked back at the previous five years of, of college football and found that the team that wins the middle eight 
is is winning 76% of the time. Like it's 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 huge. And and when you stop and really think about it, you're like, okay, well, if you can control eight minutes of the game um, and really focus on it and be good at it. And Clemson is probably the best example of that in, in recent memory. Clemson tends, tends to, to own the middle eight. Like you're putting yourself in a pretty good position to win. Like 76% is basically the same or pretty close to the same as winning the efficiency battle, which is always the, the primary objective in, in a college football game. Like, the team that has a better success rate is probably winning 76, 77, 78% of the time. So you look at the middle eight, it's producing similar numbers. And and Nebraska is too often, like maybe 2020 is is a a bit of a a different example, but certainly over the first two years, you would say that Nebraska's offense is its sharpest knife in the drawer. It's, it's the best weapon that Nebraska has. And that's kind of how the program is built. If you're going to play this, this take the ball first strategy, you've got to be really confident in your ability to, to go downfield and, and get points. And Nebraska does, does okay on that front. But if you give those points up right again at the, the start of the second half, it's, it's a little bit of a wash. And I think that's where the struggle is coming from. None of that fully explains Nebraska's struggles in the second half so far, particularly the, the, the third quarter. It's more of a, a symptom than, than a cause, perhaps. But it's at least worth considering. And, and the point is for this game, in a game where you're a pretty, a pretty heavy favorite, all things considered, certainly the heaviest favorite that Nebraska will be this year, um, when you're a two touchdown or more favorite, something has to happen outside of the norm for that game to go down into the wire. Something outside of the norm has to happen for a team like Illinois or whoever it may be to, to get a win. So that's why I put the middle eight here. It's, it's kind of a big picture thing for Nebraska, but also if you you're watching this game, you're like, well, Nebraska jumped out to a, to a 14, nothing lead. And then Illinois cut it to seven right before half, got the ball back, came down and got another field goal. And it's 14-10 or, or whatever the score may be. It'll probably be more high scoring than that, I'm guessing. But either way, you're cutting into a lead. Like That's a problem for Nebraska. That's something that is unfortunately the norm for the Huskers um, so far through two and a half seasons but is something against a, a, an opponent you're, by all accounts, better than, is, is something that keeps them in the game. When, you know, you could, you could dominate the, all, all of the time leading up to, to that middle eight and all of the time leading after, and if things just kind of break the right way, if you miss a field goal or, or something happens like that, you go for a fourth down, you know, when you're on the opponent's half of the field and don't get it, like these are the things that lead to games being closer than they probably actually are on, on paper. So that's always kind of a key. You can look for those individual areas where where that might be the case in, in games like these. And in this particular game, I think the the middle eight is going to be a pretty big one for Nebraska. 
That'll wrap another episode of the I-80 Preview Podcast. Uh, mentioned this last week, but if you have any questions, comments, concerns, great Thanksgiving recipes that you know I need to try, uh, you can reach me at I-80 at com via email. I am also on Twitter. I don't tweet much anymore. I'm getting too old for that. Like Nobody cares what I think, but I am always happy to to have discussions, particularly football rated discussions or football related discussions there. So you can reach me at Brandon L Vogel on Twitter. Um, would love to hear from you. Like I said, if you guys have any questions, um, something you want me to look at as we, we preview these games, I'm always happy to do it. Um, honestly, like helps me out a lot, uh, because you don't have to kind of examine examine every possible outcome every possible facet of the game though i'll probably do that anyway um but just having a starting point and having something that you know somebody's interesting interested in is pretty helpful so as always if you like the show give it a rating and tell your friends about it check out the rest of the shows on the hail varsity network read our work consider a subscription holiday season is well it's basically here at this point so there's someone in your life who's who's a big husker fan and uh they want what i i believe is a a pretty good magazine and pretty great coverage across all platforms uh think about hail varsity for that we'll have some specials coming up um on subscriptions around thanksgiving and black friday because that's that's what you got to do of course so keep an eye out for those uh you can find all of those on hailvarsity.com via twitter is probably even the best way to to do that but you can follow us on instagram we're on tiktok deputy editor aaron Sorensen uh has done a great job in terms of the tiktok content so give that a look if that's your cup of tea And thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week to preview the Huskers' next game and go from there. A Huda Media Production.